What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with another 2022-2023 NBA season look-ahead. Not preview, not primer, but a look-ahead because they're fancy and better. That's why they're called look-aheads. We're going to dive into the Rockets, which means I had to bring on good friend of the podcast, Salman Ali. Follow him on Twitter at Salman Ali NBA. He covers the Houston Rockets for Red Nation Hoops, which is a podcast. It's um, the name of his Substack and, and newsletter that he puts out. I would highly recommend that. Follow Red Nation Hoops on Twitter, spelled exactly as it sounds, at Red Nation Hoops. Salman, the most important question I'm going to ask you on this podcast comes right now. How the hell are you? I'm doing all right. You know, I just realized how kind of scarred I am from covering a team for so long. Like, so before we started recording, I was actually wearing, so like, I mean, you, you know this, like when you cover the NBA or you cover a team, you get a bunch of free shit, right? Oh, I'm sorry. Can I swear on this podcast? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, you get a bunch of free shit, right? Like whether, whether you ask for it or you don't, right. You just get it. And so like I, I had, I was wearing a, a very comfortable rocket shirt around the house. Right. And I, like whenever I get in front of a camera or anything, it's just like, I instantly, like I change into something else because I I'm so I I'm so scared about appearing as a homer, right? It's it's just it's just instinctual, and I caught myself doing it today, and I realized I'd been doing that for a while, and I didn't even realize that I was doing it, right? Like you just change the shirt, and and you go into like pre pretending to be like a professional, right? And it, it's it's wild, like how like that that just happens over time, and you don't even notice. I've never been like a big like even before I was in the business of wearing sports shirts. Um, but now the only like free swag I'll wear is I've had like podcasts um, send me podcasts or like radio shows or stations or TV stations send me stuff for coming on or doing something. And I'll wear those, but I honestly don't care about, you know, I think people don't realize I'm a Knicks fan anyway with the host of this podcast. I think our listeners now, like longtime listeners know, but people on Twitter and new listeners Sometimes they're surprised to find out I'm a Knicks fan. So I must be doing something, probably lots wrong, but something right. But I totally get that mindset if I were you. And if I was going to do like a, a TV spot or a video podcast spot, uh, I would consider taking it off. But I feel like at this point, I probably might also not care enough to take it off if I was wearing it. Right. And like, again, like it dawned on me that I just don't have to, right? Like I don't have to protect any sort of image, right? Like, like there's not, I'm not going to. Like no, no one's gonna confuse me with being a homer. I, I don't think, and like I just think, I, I just think it's it's dumb that I, I continue to do it. But like I turned, I, I took off a very comfortable t-shirt. I mean, this this t-shirt is pretty comfortable too. Do you need me to pause like, it or you go put it back on? <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm good. But but <laughs> but I, I'm tem I'm tempted as you said that. Like here's the thing, like the shirts when they're super comfortable and they're great to wear to the gym. Oh my god, don't even get me started. Yeah. Like they're 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 awesome. To wear to the gym like you're gonna you're gonna wear them right you, you just you're not gonna have like a, a free over, shirt. i love oversized gym shirts so yeah they're mm. like oversized too like they only they just send you an xl for no reason or something and that's you not can what cut you off wear. the sleeves or whatever yeah you can do you can do a bunch of stuff with it and like it the when it has utility i'm gonna wear it and especially that it's especially because it's free uh <laughs> it's just you know I, I i just i'm just paranoid about that image thing and i guess i probably shouldn't be anymore no, I wouldn't be if I were you, especially in the media climate now. I, I think it's better to have opinions. I'm not even saying allegiances, but they can tell that just because you're wearing a shirt or because you cover a certain team doesn't mean that you are rooting for that team. Or even if you are, doesn't mean that you are incredibly biased towards that team. 
Right. And ironically enough, I'm trying to get to the point where I'm, I, I want to root for the Rockets again. I, I do. I, I want to get to that point where it was like four years ago, I was healthily like a diehard Rockets fan. And I want to get back to that. But I've actually placed a, a, a win total bet on the Rockets uh, with a we'll friend. spoil it because we get to that at the end of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. We, yeah. We can get there. But like, but that's going to give me incentive to actually root for the Rockets again. And like I, I, I want that to be kind of like my primer to get back into it, you know. It's this is just the Alperen Shangun effect, uh, running amok right now. They, it, he's brought single handedly brought Salmonelli back to the Rockets. Speaking of the Rockets, the subject of this podcast, I'll start here. Generally, their off season, they move Christian Wood, but pretty uneventful outside of the actual draft. Um, do you have any strong thoughts about their off season that you need to fire off, or do you sense any? prevailing themes about what I would call is relative inaction to mild action. Do you think the off season puts more or less pressure, pressure on Steven Silas heading into next year? Just any just overarching thoughts on where the Rockets are at and what they did over the off season. Um, so you, are you asking me for like a take or you, you just, you just, just want if, to if, like, if you don't even have one, like I said, I'm not indifferent. No, to I, season, we're going to, I have one. I have one. Yeah, I have okay. one. Like I, I just thought of one as you were speaking. I was wondering if I, if you were, if this was like when you wanted me to fire it off, I think, you know, you mentioned his name. I think the Rockets have positioned Alperin Shingun to have a breakout season. And I think by the end of the year, he will become a household name for NBA fans. Right, I'm not, and this is not me saying he's going to make the All Star team or anything, but I think your general NBA fan will know his name by the end of the year. Is my, that's my prediction. So, I have a question about him later on, and we will jump to that right now because I know he's a favorite of yours. The passing value is is obviously obscene. Why else are you so high on him aside from the passing? Like, what is it about his offensive package or just his game in general aside from? just the playmaking or is there something you're expecting him to do this year, either defensively or to add as part of his offensive scoring package um, that makes you believe he's going to become this household name? Well, I mean, what else about his game? I mean, his scoring, right? Like he, he's just a really, really good, efficient scorer. Like he, like even at six, nine, he manages to get even the tallest opponents and more athletic opponents with just how crafty he is with his footwork. And like, I think, when he has space, he's going to look awesome. And the Rockets did a good job of surrounding him with three-point shooting and defense so he doesn't have to be this anchor, right? Like We always think of the center position as like, that has to be an anchor defensively. And I never subscribed to that. I, I've never subscribed to any actually has, like player X has to be this in the NBA. I think what's cool about the NBA is you can form a bunch of different team structures and win. And I think... Mm -hmm. The Rockets have done a good job at like really packing that front court in with defense. You look at their draft. I mean, Tari Eason, Jabari Smith Jr., and you look at the players they already had on the roster. They had Jay Sean Tate, KJ Martin, like loads of length, athleticism, and defense to surround Shangun. So he doesn't have to be that anchor type. He can just be Shangun. And of course, they're gonna have to get better defensively, right? Like. No matter um, what team structure you're trying to form, your center can't be a sieve. But I think he can get there. I think he can get to league average. In, in my notes, I said that some of his footwork, like anticipation and just movement, seemed a little bit better in the half court than I was really expecting from him. And so you think there's hope for him to be like, you know, maybe a Nurkic level 
defender type where you can maybe play him in some drop and he'll be, yeah, I think Nurkic has been painted as a really good defender at points. I don't know if I thought he's overrated there, but like, let's just say the use of Nurkic of last season or two seasons ago or something. Or like Sabonis, right? Like Sabonis is like, like if you surround Sabonis with quality defenders, I mean, he's proven that he will be serviceable for you. I guess I, I was think also that... thinking like, because Sabonis had a Turner safety net you're thinking right. that's what he still needs like in the front court with him it's not just yeah, a matter yeah, of having yeah. the right guys in front of him okay absolutely he still needs a safety net yeah of course yeah i i don't think he can ever be, yeah he need he can never be like the best front court defender that's I, i'm not there's no confusion there on my end but as so to pro- whether my apologies for insulting yusuf nurkic then by comparing him to alper and shangun and how uninventive of me just spitting out two caucasians there shame on me but please carry on i apologize no, it's fine. Listen, like it's tough to make these comps. And just because, you know, the first thing we think of is like a Caucasian guy. It's like it doesn't mean like the comparison's not good. Sometimes the comparison's good. Like here's the confusion. Like sometimes when you compare a white guy to another white guy, it fits. I'm sorry. It just it, sometimes it fits. Right. And like I, I get that. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're conditioned to try to not do that. But some, if there's a good comparison sitting there, you should make it. I my actually the first guy that popped in my head before Nurkic was John Collins as someone who could need to mm. say, but John Collins is just like has so much more pop to his game than Shangun. But anyway, this went off the rails. So mm. no, Shang-Gun, I feel like we're very much on the rails. But go ahead, par for us. But so Shangun being a household name, do you like his fit overall with Jabari Smith? Then like that is the Rockets. Just in your estimation, should be the Rockets front court of the future. Love it, love it. I mean, like here's the thing. Did I think Jabari Smith Jr. was the most talented player in the draft? No, I, I, I certainly didn't think so. I thought, you know, uh, Chet Holmgren and, and Paulo Boncaro were more talented than him and were deserving of one and two uh, wherever you d- you chose to put them, right? Like whether you thought Chet was better, whether you thought Paulo was better. Uh, and I, I thought Jabari was the guy I would take at three reluctantly because I was really tempted to put Ivy there. But, but j- after that, after those two, there's no obvious third guy. So if there was, if I was to say there was an obvious third guy for the Rockets, it was clearly Jabari because of their team structure, because Shangun is there specifically, right? Like if Shangun wasn't there, I might've been tempted to mock Jay Nivey to the Rockets at number three, but oh, wow. because, yeah, I mean, but you know, because Shangun is there, it's like, well, it's really hard to find someone who is as good of a three point shooter and defender as Smith. Right. At least prospect wise. Right. Um, You know, he hasn't played an NBA game yet, but like, you know, what he projects to be is an awesome three point shooter and an awesome help defender and a guy who can really switch on the perimeter. And what really surprised me, impressed me rather, was how good he did at defending the rim and at the summer league. Because you remember Usman Garuba, your guy, uh, he was was out. He was out. He was injured. Right. And so he had to, Jabari had to slide down to center. And I was, you know, skeptical as how as to how he'd fare there. Cause, you know, watching his film, I never thought he was like this amazing rim protector. But again, he had a really strong defensive center next to him at the college level. But again, I was, you know, watching him at Summer League. I mean, he seemed like he did a pretty decent job on that and like just rim pr- protecting the, the basket, right? Cause I never thought of him as like, he can do everything on the floor defensively. Like he can do very specific things defensively. Like he can switch. He can help defend. 
I never thought he could be a guy who could protect the rim, that you could slide down to center, right? I never thought he was, I thought he was very much like a one or two position defender, right? He can defend threes and fours. I never thought, you know, you could slide him down to five in some lineups. And I thought watching him at the summer league, I'm like, yeah, I think that's possible. I'm not saying that's probable, but I think watching him now uh, in the summer league, it's like, I think that's possible now. Do you think that the Rockets will one do that and more like to the larger point, how do you think that like what is his best role or how do you think he's going to be used on offense? Do you think there's going to be a lot of two man stuff between him and Jalen Green? Do you like that combination? Could we see just sort of like dual big pick and rolls with Shangun and and Jabari Smith? What what should the offensive expectations be for? Who, by the way, I agree with you with what you said defensively, and I just came away so high on his defense after summer league where it felt like when I was watching Evan Mobley earlier in the regular season last year, and I was like, oh shit. That guy is everywhere. I got that same vibe from Jabari Smith Jr. And I might even argue that if he's going to be able to slide down and play more five and be a very effective rim protector while doing it, he'll be better suited for that role than Evan Mobley. Not better than Evan Mobley in general, who's basically like a point of attack defensive like big man, which you just don't ever see. Uh, but I came away from Summer League just blown away, frankly, by how good he was defensively. But uh do you expect him to play five with Houston? And what do you see for sort of his offensive role in, in year one? And what should, what should we be watching for in terms of his offensive development? Yeah. Do I expect him to play five? I think he'll play five in backup units, right? Or if, if Shangun isn't that guy that I think he is, I think he can be, you know, he might be asked to be the closing unit guy, right? Like if Shangun truly doesn't get good enough defensively, to close games for Houston, mm-hmm. if he's truly that much of a liability, then that that's an instance where you might see the Rockets have to play him at five. Um, I, I you know I haven't seen enough to say definitively one way or the other yet on that end. Uh, as far as his his role offensively in the NBA, so the the way I you know when I was writing about him, I, the way I framed it was like there's really three levels to how you see Jabari Smith Jr. Right, and I think this informs on you know how high you were on him in the draft, right. If you think, you know, if you think where I had him in the draft, which is like I had him third, you know, kind of leaning, perhaps put him fourth, you know, you're thinking Richard Lewis. That's his floor, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of where more where I reside. That's kind of where I think he ends up in the ABA, being a really good, spacey uh, guy who can really, you know, defend. And if you look at median outcomes, you're thinking like LaMarcus Aldridge. Right, like a guy who can really, really shoot the three, shoot the two and the three ball. Uh, Lamarcus uh, never really actually shot three pointers until it was too late into his career, which is like what might make him different than uh, Lamarcus. Right, like Jabari's going to shoot threes, like six or seven threes right off the bat. Right, and what's interesting is he started off as this long range shooter at the high school level, and then he stretched out to three at college. Right, like. Three-point shooting wasn't his his game until very recently, and mm. he became excellent at it. Right, like he to the point to where like we're putting him at some on some boards as number one. And so I think he if he's like that guy, a guy who can actually create for himself a little bit off the dribble, you know, create some separation with that mid-range too. Lamarcus Aldridge is the is the kind of median outcome and. Highest outcome, I just I do not believe in this, but like the guy, the people who were projecting him at number one, they did believe this, right? Like they did believe this was possible. And you know, in, in some respects, there are some sim- similarities here. And when I say the name, I'll, I'll get into those similarities. Paul George, that's the highest, highest end, right? 
like he peaks out defensively and offensively he he really develops as a ball handler right like, like, like Paul George for those who don't remember coming out of the coming out of the draft was not a good ball handler like mm-hmm. one of his weaknesses right I mean he won most improved player for a reason he became a much better ball handler and I think that's kind of like if you are super super high on Jabari Smith Jr. I think that's got to be your ceiling outcome, right? That's got to be what you're trying to envision. I don't quite see that because I think he's so far. Like, first of all, that Paul George is an example of outlier development. I, I'm never comfortable projecting outlier development. It's not something I like to do, mm-hmm. right? Even like in, in the limited time I've done draft stuff, like I that's the that's the stuff that makes me really uncomfortable. I've seen a, a lot of people do it, and that's that's something I, I typically shy away from. But like projecting outlier development is something like you really got to believe in somebody to do right i'm doing that with shingun to be fair i'm doing that yeah. with shingun right <laughs> but but with with jabari i just don't see the 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 shot creation like that's going to be something that's going to take a lot of time for him to develop and so i'm more like richard lewis or you know, somewhere between Rashard Lewis and Lamarcus Aldridge. I think he's going to be better than Rashard Lewis. I don't think he's going to be as good as Lamarcus Aldridge, right? I think he's going to be like your your like on a championship team. I think he's going to be like your third best player, maybe fourth. Wow. See, I would think just after watching his defense, like I I get what I totally get everything you're saying, but like even with what you mentioned defensively, if he ends up being Rashard Lewis on offense, you don't think that could be the second best player on a title team or a title contender, whoever you want to frame it. Yeah, that's a good point because Richard Lewis was actually pretty decent at shot creation uh, as a, as a young player, right? Uh, when, when, when he really got into his, really came into his own, when teams actually start playing him at, at power forward, which I'm surprised it took into like his thirties. So teams were like, Oh, he's really good at playing power forward, right? Which is just an example of how behind we were in the NBA. Like it took yeah, Stan was- Van Gogh. Like Sorry, Kevin Garnett but... playing like shooting guard or small forward when he first enters the league too. Like yeah, just, it, stuff was all warped. Yeah, it was just so weird. But but uh, I mean, it, it's easy to say in hindsight, right? It's, everybody at the time was thinking this these kinds of things, right? We all thought of positions differently 10, 10 to 15 years ago. But uh, you look at like what Orlando, how Orlando was using Rashard Lewis, um, like that took until like his 30s. It took into, until like literally late 20s, early 30s for teams to realize, oh, this is how we should use him. And now that we kind of have that blueprint of Richard Lewis, teams know already how to use Jabari Smith Jr. coming into the league. Like he's going to be asked to play power forward immediately. He's going to be asked to space the floor immediately, right? There's not going to be any fooling around about playing him at small forward or trying to have him shoot like one or two three-pointers a game. That's not going to happen. He's going to be taking a pretty high volume of those, and he's going to play his optimal position defensively. So like in that respect, I think he'll be better than than uh, Rashard. But, you know, LaMarcus, I mean, you guys have to go back and watch like prime LaMarcus Aldridge. That guy was a beast, man. That guy was awesome. I, 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 like, I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ready to say he's going to be that, and I'm certainly not ready to say he's going to be Paul George. Jalen Green, we're moving at a banner pace for you and I right now. This is just mm. trademark trademark slow rolling here. Uh, Jalen Green was a monster uh, after the All-Star break last year. Shot 42.1% on off-the-dribble threes after the trade deadline, which is incredible. He feels like he is that guy 
on offense as a scorer. My two questions for him is what are you most looking to see from him uh, in year two th- this season? And then this probably steps on the toes of that. Do you think he can be the primary playmaking engine based off what you've seen or hints of what you've seen for a really good to great offense? I don't think he can be the primary playmaker for a great offense, but I, I think I think he showed enough last season to give me, you know, like reservations about ruling that out, like ruling that out completely, right? Like I, I before I, I might have ruled it out completely before the season, but I think he showed enough, just specifically as a playmaker, right? Like as a guy who actually keeps his head up on offense, right? He's not just isoing and not looking to pass. He is looking to pass, just not very good at it yet, right? Like his passes just aren't on point yet. He is very good at actually finding uh, guys inside the paint, or like he's he's at least making a strong effort to find guys when he gets into the paint. Uh, looking forward, the kick the kickout passes they're just not there yet, right? Mm-hmm. That's going to be something that's going to take some time for him to develop. Um, but the ball handling it's pretty damn advanced. Uh, I'm not sure if it's advanced enough to be, for him to be running like 20 pick and rolls yet. Like that's going to take some time, you know. Like I think. As of now, I think he's probably most suited to be a secondary slash tertiary guy on offense. And as he develops in those areas, he can become that guy. And his rate of improvement, by the way, last season was really phenomenal. You talked about how good he played after the All-Star break. I have his stats right here from the restricted area before January, uh, before February, excuse me, 56%. After February, 66%. Mid-range. Before February, 29%. After February, 48%. Three-point range. Before February, 29%. After February, 40%. Right? Like, yeah. Overall true shooting, 50% before February. After February, 60%. Like, he just became a dramatically more efficient player after the All-Star break. And I think a lot of that was due to his confidence. He just seemed more comfortable in his role. And like, he, you know, he realized like, I don't know, somebody must have told him that he was Jalen Green or something like, <laughs> before. like, I, I don't know what happened before that, you know, was preventing that disc that, that was causing that disconnect. But like, he definitely seemed to understand why he was drafted where he was drafted after the all-star break. And he, and he had that swagger about him. He was playing fun and free and you could just see it. And like the Rockets were embracing it. And it was really fun basketball to watch. I mean, if he played, if he played how he played after February, he'd be vying for an all-star position. That's how good he played after February. Now, going into next season, I'm curious to see how he develops in the following areas: um, defense, right? I think that's always going to be something that he's going to have to work on, right? Especially going into the draft, that was something he was never projected to be a good defender. It's not like he has great length to begin with right he is is like he's like six six with like you know just a six six wingspan right he's not he's not this great like lengthy guy um strength that that's something he has he has to build out his body right like he has to like be more than skin and bones and that's kind of what he looked like to start the year i mean there there were plays where i thought he was getting the ball ripped for him from him but just because he was weak right just because like it was so easy for the defender to actually go out, go reach their arm in and seal the basketball, right? And I think that was a direct relation to his strength. Like you, and you wouldn't think that, right? Ball handling and strength, like what does one have to do with the other? They're they're, they're more related than you would think. And you know, 
obviously he has to get better at, at playmaking. Now, he what what he showed last season, you know, made, made me more optimistic about his prospects as a playmaker. I think he can actually become, you know, that Devin Booker kind of playmaker, right? A guy who can be, you know, your six and a half assist game guy per game, right? I'm not sure if I'm ever going to buy into him being your seven and a half, eight, nine assist a game guy. I just don't think, I don't see that in his future. But if he can get to that, I mean, like this is, that's enough to be a foundational talent, right? And that's, that's all the Rockets are asking him to be. When you draft at number two, you're looking for your very first foundational talent. I think the Rockets found that guy. I'd be with you on that. And if you don't buy into him sort of being that primary playmaker, how is the, I guess this is the better way to frame this is we've talked about Kevin Porter Jr. at length. He is not that floor general type either. I think we're both fairly confident in saying that based off what's happened in Houston. What's his role on this team? What's his ideal role? And do do you think he gets an extension? Or do you, in your mind, do you have a walkaway number? Knowing the cap is going to go up if you're the Rockets when you're in extension talks to him. Or are you even interested in keeping him around long term? So uh, you know, I'm going to correct myself here because I, I nodded while you're saying uh, I think we're both comfortable saying that he can't be that guy. I, I nodded. I'm going to take that nod back. I, I'm rescinding. I'm rescinding that nod because I'm I'm never confident about anything with 22 year olds. It's just it's Fair. they're so young, and I and we've seen so many cases of outlier player development uh, make us look foolish on a player. Right? Jamal Murray is a great example of a guy who exhibited outlier player development to such an extent. To where he became someone we would have never imagined him becoming, right? The the Nuggets believed that, right? The Nuggets were like all in on Jamal Murray internally, and they were they they were so confident they were building out their roster to where like we don't have to go out and get a point guard because we this is our point guard, this is our guy, right? The Rockets are doing kind of the same thing, right? Uh, other teams have done it. You look at the Grizzlies with Mike Con- early year Mike Conley's, right? Like Mike Conley was not never that guy to start his career. He became that guy. So I don't want to rule anything out. He does have a lot of great physical tools, you know, really, really long, really strong, great athlete. Um, and I think he can be a good passer, like a good passer for a point guard. I think right now he's a good passer for a shooting guard. That's kind of how I view him. He feels like, and this is a, because I'm not an ex as a nose about the way I can describe it is he feels very much like a reactive passer rather than someone who's anticipating yeah. passing guys open, something like that. No, I, I, that's a great way to describe it. That's exactly what I believe too. And I think, you know, when you put what he is great at right now and what he is weak at right now, which is, you know, what he's great at right now is he gets buckets and what he's, what he's not good at right now is defense and facilitating and efficiency, right? We're like not facilitating. He, he's good at efficiency. He's good at facilitating. He's just not great at it, right? So like I think when you when you take all those positive and negative qualities out, you punch out like a really strong six man in the NBA. That's what you like project, right? Like that's what I kind of project for him. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to play in significant playoff games, just probably not as a starter. That's kind of what I see for him right now. Uh, I Which think is, a, by the way, that's not. An, I know I started this by saying we don't think that he's their point guard of the future. That's not an insult. If you're the sixth man on a really good team, that has inherently absurd value. Look at Jordan Poole in Golden State, Tyler Hero in Miami. I mean, they're all different players, and I think KPJ is I'm not sure about Jordan Poole, but like he's longer than both of them. He should be better defensively than both of them, even though uh, he's definitely not worse than both of them now. But the the outcome you're laying out is not an insult. I think Rockets fans in our YouTube comments a lot of the time get insulted when I say I don't view. 
Kevin Porter Jr. is the point guard of the future, maybe even necessarily as like one of their three to four most important players moving forward. I think, I mean, three you get to right away with Green, Shangun, and Jabari Smith, but I might consider a, a Tate or a Tari Eason just more important to the future. And we don't have to have that discussion, but it's, it's not an insult was my point, but please, I'm sorry to interject, carry on. No, no. I mean, I, I, I that's something I, I constantly try to say. It's like, it's not an insult to call this guy a sixth man or a seventh man. Like these guys, like think about an NBA rotation, right? Like an, an NBA roster is 17 players, right? Like 15 players, two, two way contracts, right? You get into the season, you you're, you're trimming that roster down to nine guys, nine to 10 guys that actually play right? Those other four to five guys are in the G League. And then you get to like late in the season, you're trimming that down to like eight or nine. Then you get to the postseason. And as the rounds extend, you're getting down to seven guys. So what I'm saying is Kevin Porter Jr. is good enough to be one of those seven guys, be seven out of 17 guys on an NBA roster. That is a deep level compliment, especially when you consider only 15 or sorry 14 teams make the playoffs every year right what's seven times 14 like eight let me do the math right now seven times 14 108 my math 98 98 98 divided by what 450 nba players in the nba that's 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 a 22 percent outcome like that's awesome i don't know i don't know how else to describe that like that's an interesting way to frame it yeah, I mean it is it is great. Like to to say you're one of the 22% of the NBA, like that's that's awesome. And you're probably going to have a 10 to 15 year NBA career, which is unheard of. Not not unheard of, but it is very rare, right? Yeah. The average NBA career is 4 seasons, I think. Last time I checked. Yeah, it so, was slightly under 4, so yeah, it might be over 4 by now, who knows. Yeah. So so I'm saying he's going to have double or triple that. You know, like that's I don't know, you know, like I you have to frame, I guess you have to really adjust your framing of, of what is a successful NBA player, because if you think it's all star robust, I think you and I could not be more in disagreement. Right. Right. And I do not think that, obviously. No, uh, it's just talking, talking to fans. Yeah, sorry. So KPJ is well, let's say he's well, I'm not throwing it. He's willing to sign for as an extension for four years and 70 million. Do you do it if you're the Rockets? Four years and seventy million. Mm. So about seventeen and a half a year. Uh, I'd consider it because of how much the cap is going up, but I wouldn't do it. I think what my my cutoff point with KPJ is about close to the mid level exception, which is not that right now. Which is like it's like where I'm talking like ten to fifteen mil a year. Yeah, so you're and in like. like a- 10 to 12 million range more so for the mid-level exception then is what you'd be willing to right do. right well well i'm willing to go above the mid-level exception but i but like if 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 it were me i would not go significantly above like significantly when i mean significant i mean like i would not, i'm not willing to go six seven eight million above mid-level exception okay I, th- I i'd want to waver around that territory you know at least a five million gap under or over and when i'm negotiating this if if Kevin Porter Jr.'s camp is asking for more, which I imagine they are, I'm I'm loading that contract with a crap ton of incentives, right? I'm talking games played. I'm I'm talking like efficiency standards, like so like you have to shoot a certain percentage from three or shoot a certain percentage from the you know at the rim, uh, from the free throw line. You know, he's not a reliable free throw shooter right now. 
uh, you have to not turn the ball over X amount of times, whatever. Like I'm, I'm loading it with incentives to guarantee I don't walk out with a bad contract. Yeah, and I mean, you can go up to, I think, 15% of the contract can be in right. unlikely incentives. So Right, so 15% on a $20 million a year deal is like what? Let me see. Uh, it's like $2.5 million. Yeah, so it's like three mil. I'm I'm loading yeah. it up with like three million dollars in incentives per year, right? Like that's that that's that's what I'd be willing to do if he's asking for twenty million dollars a year. Now, what you say based on how the Rockets acted this offseason or whatever they did, and also what you say about KPJ, they're showing faith in KPJ and Jalen Green as not just self creators, but creators for other. And this could also be a vote of confidence in Alperin Shangun. I still think that eventually finding a even if you want to call it a point guard, just a floor general of the future is important. Uh, do you think for that reason, does Ty Ty Washington intrigue you at all? Or do you expect him to have not a guaranteed role, but a good shot at a meaningful role with this team in year one? Ty Ty Washington was a decent pick where they took him. They took him at 26. I thought, I thought there was a compelling case to draft him higher. I had him uh, in my top 20. I was very uh, curious and, to see why he fell because he's not yeah. huge, but he's not like this tiniest player, and he plays. He's, he's got good at, size yeah, for a point guard. Like six, three, like, but he, and he plays yeah. bigger on defense. It feels like at times, maybe not consistently. I'm just basing this off summer league. No, he he, he was an intriguing prospect. One could argue he was the best point guard prospect available in the draft outside of Jaden Ivey, right? Like I, 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 if whatever whatever position you consider Jaden Ivey to be, right? Like I think. Like he was a really compelling prospect to me, uh, but I didn't see significant upside there. I I, I kind of saw similar to Kevin Porter Jr. I saw playoff rotation player upside there. Like I thought he's gonna be a guy, uh, gonna be one of your your four rotation guards. I'm not sure where in that pecking order he would lie. I would tend to believe he's gonna be a bench guy, a bench guard, um, and. If anything, it just provides some safety net to let's just say you decide to move on from Kevin Porter Jr. one day. You have someone that can step in and be that uh, at least temporarily for you. Um, and I think I think he, he you know he's he's decent. I just would not put too many eggs on him. You know the Ty Ty Washington starting point guard basket. I just wouldn't do that yet. I without seeing significantly more NBA minutes. You know he, right now he's at zero. Uh, fair. Their other rookie, who I think I'm, I'm obviously intrigued by Jabari Smith, but I remain very intrigued by Tari Eason after going mm. back and watching some of his college footage. He might be someone who's like among non-bigs is probably going to be in like the top five or ten. It feels like a block jump shots or something along those lines. But what are you sort of envision for him, or what's most impressed you about him? What have you? What have you? What are just your general impressions of his game so far? So the Rockets drafted him at 17, and I had him at 17. Right. So like I, I wasn't particularly high or low on him. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of where I would have taken him. Right. And watching him in the summer league, I'm like, oh, this guy can like self-create a little bit, like more than I thought would like. Like, so I watched him at the college level, obviously. And when I was watching him, like none of this stuff's going to translate. Right. Like he's not going to be able to do half of this in the NBA. And he at least did it in the summer league against NBA level athleticism. Right. Not NBA level players yet, obviously. But he did it against NBA level athleticism, which surprised me. I was like, oh, that that's something I didn't see from him. Like, if he can like achieve some level of success on that level, we're talking like Jeremy Grantish territory. I'm not saying he's going to become Jeremy Grant, but I think that's on the table, right? Because of how well he was playing offensively. Um, just a guy who can like really self-create for himself, shoot off, uh, sorry, shoot catch and shoot threes, um, and obviously super defender. 
And so, like, I, I think he's really integral to what they're going to do because, again, I think Alperin Shingun is going to be integral to what they do. So when you have a guy like that playing center for you, having guys like Tari Eason is immensely valuable because you need to surround him with as much athleticism and like just high level intelligence and anticipation. Like he has great anticipation, like especially for passing lanes. Um, very Corey Brewer-esque in that he always seems to have his hands in passing lanes and he's always seeming to run the fast break, right? Like like once he gets that hand, hand on the basketball, he's off. And he's really fast. Again, like much better athlete than, you know, one might expect. So I think he's your prototypical three and D guy who can play three or four for you in today's NBA. And those guys are immensely valuable if they hit. Yeah. And I, the other thing that I, I agree with everything you said. And uh, I went back and watched some of like the tape from him when he was uh, at LSU, he like, can make some nifty plays on the baseline too. If he's really kind of like forced that way. And so if you need someone to stand in the corner or to turn a corner with the ball in his hands and work within um, tight spaces, you know, going away, almost from the basket or from the, you know, the teeth of uh, the defense of the court, that's huge too. And so he feels like he could end up being just sort of this superstar complimentary player where like, that's one of the guys that just contributes to winning at an absurdly high level. And I think I'm probably most excited to watch him this year than a lot of other guys on the road, like Jalen green and uh, even Alperen Shangoon and then Jabari Smith. Yes, of course, Tarizan might be, like the guy who intrigues me most on this roster after them, even more so than, than KPJ. And maybe that's just because I, I'm, I've been overexposed to KPJ so far, but that's not an insult either. Just Eason feels like he could end up being a home run pick. Can I, can I have a, a take here on the podcast? Another take. I, I, know, I know I started with, with one pretty hot. Uh, I have another one for you. I would not at all be surprised if Tari Easton has the best rookie year of this class of Rockets. Guys. He would be like, I think you could take even just there's a pathway in my opinion. Maybe an injury happens or just KPJ's a bust. There's a pathway to Ty Ty Washington playing enough. And I know when you look at the makeup of this roster, Eason should play enough. That if you wanted to throw money on either of their rookie of the year odds and you're just looking to invest in someone outside the top four, I totally understand it. Like those are just I, I would mm. totally understand it. Yeah, I, I that's that's probably one step too far for me, rookie of the year. But I but in terms of like best rookie season on the Rockets in particular, which is basically saying I would not dismiss the idea of him having a better rookie year than, than Jabari Smith Jr., right? I'm not saying, again, this is not me saying I think he's a better prospect than Jabari Smith Jr. You're predicting that Jabari's a bust already. That's, that is spicy. Done. Done. Get him out of the NBA. Get him out of the NBA. No. Uh, but what I, what I was saying is I, I think he could have a stronger start because I think he's just more ready. You know, he just seems more confident already in what he is. I fell in love with Josh Christopher towards the end of last season, um, in part because you and I talked about him and it made me go back and watch him a little bit more closely. And just in watching him, he hit the percentages weren't great, but he looked very comfortable taking step back threes, which is huge in today's NBA. And then also just like when you look at the depth and the angles of his drives and the difficulty level on some of his finishes, and then even some of the stuff he's doing from the mid range, this is a much more dynamic offensive player than I thought they were getting. Um, what most impressed you about him or how do you project him going forward for this team? Who, look, if you haven't caught on now, the Rockets have, and Rockets fans who are listening to this know this, but if you haven't caught on and you're not a Rockets fan and you didn't watch a ton of the Rockets last year, they are just brimming 
teeming with like tantalizing young players at this point. It's fa- it's a fantastic position for them to be in. Right. So Josh Christopher, like, so no player on the Rockets has made me second guess my own decision making than him. Uh, just because like just start to finish, like, so he starts off the Rockets take him at 24. I'm like, I don't understand this pick. Like I was like, there, there are other guys like I would have taken here. Like Quentin Grimes was a guy I really liked. Like I'm, I'm biased. U of H guy. I went to U of H. Um, he's so, really good though. He's, he's good. Summer league with his off the dribble stuff this year. Holy hell. Right. Like again, in Donovan Mitchell trade talks, apparently that's actually not true, but he was painted as such by some, sorry, carry on. No, no. Okay. So like, I, I really liked him and I was like, oh man, they, they might end up regretting taking Josh Christopher over Quentin Grimes. I'm like, oh, now it looks kind of like, oh, they might've regret, they might regret taking Usman Garuba over Quentin Grimes. Like the way it looks right now. Right. Cause Josh Christopher looks like a really, really strong selection there. And what really surprised me is like when you watch, he's so different when you watch him and when you look at his stats, right? Like when you watch him, he is brimming with swagger and confidence. And like he brings the Rockets back into games a lot, like mm-hmm. a lot. Like it happened several times throughout the season last year. And like you look at his number, it's like, oh, he's like what, 52% true shooting? Like what am I watching? Like, like why is this so different from what I was just watching on the screen? And I, I don't know how to describe it other than like, I, I guess I just think he's going to be a strong NBA defender, right? Like, not, not like a, like a, you know, first or second team all NBA, all defense guy, you know, but a, I think he's going to be a plus defender in the NBA. I think he's going to be a guy who can be like your, what's, what's, what's after tertiary? Well, like, is like your, was it tertiary? I don't know. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, I, I made, did I make up a word there? What is it? Like you think he's gonna be your fourth best defender is what you're trying to say? Ball handler, ball handler, right? Like I think like, tertiary is like, probably the right word. Like secondary would be two, three for me, and then tertiary is kind of like after three, that four. for me. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's kind of what I see from a, him as a ball handler, right? Like I just think he he can be that kind of uh, situational. I, 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 maybe that's the way yeah, to go. Yeah, right, right, and like you know, I I hate to keep leaning on this crutch of like six man guy, but he you know, screams to me like, oh, this guy's going to be like a six-man guy in the NBA, right? Just because I, I just, the energy he brings to the floor is so infectious. And again, it's, you look at his stats and it's like, what is Salman even talking about? This guy's barely good, right? And I, I just I just would encourage you to do what Dan did and go watch him because he, I, I'm never one of these eye test guys. I'm never. I'm like I, I'm, I'm. I think they're both value, equally valuable. Look, the data and the and the film in this case, I think the film would be more valuable to watch. You could. I will say his. I looked up his finishing at the rim after watching more of him. He shot 62 percent at the rim last year, which is like it was in the 64th percentile for his position. And when you look at the level of difficulty on some of his shots around the basket, I was wildly impressed. And so if that goes up. That's a plus plus plus, right? Can there. I interject here? Because like I, I I I remember making a statement on the on, a, on the podcast uh, on my show, like I think midway through the season, uh, and and like I I knew it was gonna sound silly, but I, and I prefaced it like this is gonna sound really dumb. I but bet like, you I know the, what it is because I bet you you said it on this podcast when we sank up during the middle of the year. Perhaps like I I remember saying that when he finishes at the basket and he gets fouled. He doesn't flex. 
right? Like, like you, you, okay. you know, you see, you see rookie year players, right? Like guards, like when they finish, when they get like an and one at the basket, like they're like flexing and they're like, and what, what, what's stunning about Josh Christopher is like, even though he has all this confidence and swagger, it's like, he doesn't seem surprised that he's, that he's making these difficult finishes at the basket. He's just like, okay, I'm going to go to the free throw line. Like, okay, here's your dap. Here's your dap. I'm going to go to the free. Like it's, you, you ever, if you ever seen like LeBron finish through contact, it's kind of similar to that, right? Like again, not at all comparing the LeBron James and Josh freaking Christopher. I'm just talking about in this specific instance, like when you see high-level NBA players finish at the basket through contact and when they aren't surprised by it, I don't know. If there's, there's some part of me feels like, okay, they feel like they belong here, right? They feel like they belong. No, I'm not surprised. Like th- I, I, I should be doing this. I should be making these difficult shots at the basket. I'm sorry. When you, when you mentioned rim finishing, that came to mind immediately. Because again, it sounds silly, but again, I think this is one of those cases where go watch the film and I think you might see what I'm talking about. Uh, that was not the take you got off on this podcast. <laughs> uh, that take was you compared him to Drew Holiday. So Josh Christopher reminds me a lot of Drew Holiday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, I did. So the strength inside I, the arc, I get. Um, if he's going to ever, if he ever hits, is like Drew Holiday shot a trillion percent on step backs last year. I don't see the same level of passing or even. Uh, I don't think I made we, that comparison. I think I mentioned that Rafael Stone made that comparison on draft. Oh. And I think I think I, I mentioned it on your show, but I did bring the comparison up. I, I just want to give him credit because again, I'm I'm not gonna say like I came that came up with that. I didn't hear him say it. I heard, I'm attributing it to you until the end of time. Okay, sh- sure enough, fair enough. I have to ask this question. I was heartbroken when he suffered the ankle injury that kept him out of summer league. I did go back and watch a bunch of Usman Garuba's regular season minutes. I didn't watch G League Usman Garuba. I didn't go rewatch that. Gonna make me what sad. Is, what does he need to do to get minutes on this team? And I will preface this by saying, watching him, and it, it has to be on offense. He set some like I don't know if it's just because he built like a slab of marble, but he set some really nice hard screens. Then everything after that is kind of just like an adventure in the wrong way. I will say though that the people that hyped him up on defense, I'm just I'm he's like a gnat on steroids when you watch him defend. And so what does Usman Gruba need to do to see the floor regularly with the the big club this year? And do you think that they'll even give him a chance to do so? Exactly what you think he needs to do, right? Which is be, just do something offensively, right? Like just do something. Like be either be a strong, uh, you know, pick and roll guy, like screen and dive guy, or be a be a three point shooter, right? Like do like well, I think in particular one of those two things needs to happen, right? Just become have some sort of value on the offensive end. And then you'll see playing time. I think it's really that simple, right? Like you ask Rockets guys about this and they're, they skate around that issue, but you can tell that's what they're trying to say, right? It's like, oh, like he just needs to, you know, like show some value there, right? And then you'll, and then you'll see more playing time with the Rockets. Yeah, I think I would go with, if he looks more like a natural screener and diver. Um, you're going to need, I think that's where the value of Shangun or Jabari Smith playing next to one of them comes in. If you think they both are going to stretch the floor. Um, I will say if he's going to stick in the NBA, it probably just looking at his size, it might need to be like, can he at least hit corner threes or something? And I don't know if he'll ever get there, but I just, I want him to play. So because he, lo- he is a defensive caps lock menace. Right. Like he got Sergi Baca comparisons coming out of the draft. Right. Like, I think that that's like, that's kind of what, I see for him as a ceiling, but I don't think he's going to reach that ceiling because he just doesn't seem to have anything. Like, Serge Ibaka was a good offensive player, 
like at the pro- at the peak of his powers, he provided something for you offensively, right? Patrick Patterson was a good offensive player. At the peak of his powers, he provided something for you offensively. Usman Garuba does not provide anything for you offensively right now. He might set good hard screens, but he doesn't follow through with popping or diving. Like it's just it just stops there, you know. No, I, I mean that makes that makes total sense. Um, this sort of leads into my question of what does a 10-man rotation for this team look like beginning with the starting five? And I'll say, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the starters are probably not etched in stone, but you have Jalen Jabari, Shangoon, and then probably Tate and KPJ at this point would be my picks, unless you think that Gordon's going to be there instead of Tate. I would probably slide in Gordon over Tate. And I think that that's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch because I don't think, I think the Rockets may be leaning what you just said with that lineup because I just think if you have Gordon here, you might as well utilize him in his most optimal position. And I don't think this is Tate's most optimal position. In fact, I think this is his least most optimal position, putting him out there. I think having him play the three when he is so clearly a four in the NBA, like I can't see him playing the three. I just I can't. I can see him defending threes. I can never see him playing the three at the NBA level just because he's not a good enough like three-point shooter. He's just not. And I think it's putting him at the three is a disservice. And and if you're unless your plan is to play Jabari Smith Jr. at the three, which I certainly think it's a disservice to him as well, I, I don't I don't see the viability there. I see a lot of viability there defensively, but like again, like you have Eric Gordon, use him, right? Until until you can figure out who that three is going to be, right? Like who that starting small forward of the future is going to be, like utilize Eric Gordon, like like squeeze every bit of playing time out of him and floor spacing and viability and like you know veteran leadership and all that hoopla out of him until you find a home a new home for him. And hopefully by that point, one of your young guys has has proven to you that he can be that starting small forward of the future. Maybe it is Tari Eason, right? Maybe maybe it is him. But we don't know that yet, so I would probably go with Eric Gordon. But that's just me. I I, I have a feeling the Rockets, judging by some of the interviews that Steven Saez has, uh, has given, I think he may, he may be leaning towards starting Tate because he likes the look of Tate next to Shingun. I... You know, I, I get it defensively. I don't get it offensively at all. It's very much like similar to starting Daniel Tice next to uh, Christian Wood. Like I don't like I get it on one end of the floor. I don't get it on the other end of the floor. It just it doesn't make any sense. A big part of that could also be, though, do you want to have Gordon at the three when KPJ and Jalen Green are your backcourt? That could be some of the other thing. Gordon's better defensively than he probably gets credit for. But Tate is just going to be by far better suited to elevate or at least cover up for a lot of the shortcomings you're going to get from that backcourt. Yeah, perhaps. But again, like I, I don't think you need to be worried about um, like forming your lineup of the future right now, right? Like long-term. Yeah. This is a very viable issue you're, you're posing, right? Going into the playoffs, you should not be starting that lineup, but going into the regular season, that's probably the only lineup you can possibly start. So who would be, so we'll say the other four guys that you think if we're going to say go with a 10 man rotation, like when we're just looking at the 10 most played players um, for next year, because we have Jalen Jabari, Shangoon, um, Gordon, KPJ, and Tate. Those are locks. I think Josh Christopher needs to be in there for sure. KJ Martin is still there. That would bring us to eight. And then I would think Eason's there. That's nine. And so where do you get that 10th spot from? Is it like Washington? Is it Garuba? Are they going to use one of these just like, and that's going to be a question that I have coming after this, but is it going to be like one of those holdovers from the Christian Wood trade? 
I think I think Garrison Matthews is probably going to get a spot. Um, oh, I totally I forgot think, about him. Yeah, he needs one after the way he played last year. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I think he would probably earn like that eighth spot. Is you you got to eight, right? I got to nine. You got to nine. Okay, so who was who was so uh, seven Jalen, and eight for you? Uh, we have Jalen Jabari, Shangoon, Gordon, KPJ, Tate. I have Josh Christopher, KJ okay. Martin, and Tari Eason, and that's how I got to nine. Okay, yeah, then I then I would probably say Garrison's probably where I'd start. I'd stop it, and I probably the odd man out there is probably going to be either Garrison or KJ. Like in terms of like if there's a night where someone doesn't play. I think it's probably going to be one of those two players that doesn't play. And unfortunately, that's going to really piss off uh, Kenyon Martin. I'm not talking about KJ Martin. I'm talking about Kenyon Martin Sr. You know, like I think I think that's going to be something that, uh, you know, it's probably the reason he, he demanded a trade. I, I, I right. suspect, you, you know, I think everybody kind of suspects that. Like uh, Kenyon Martin Sr. got uh, a little aggravated that his son wasn't isn't going to play. Uh, that and wasn't was playing. Sorry. He was good. And I have a question on that is that do you think, I mean, the two things are we know about KJ's trade request, which you said might have, you know, been sort of spearheaded by Kenyon Martin Sr. for all we know. But mm. will, if like this team stays the same, you've already kind of alluded to that maybe KJ Martin isn't guaranteed playing time. Is this someone then that you think you could flip for a low end first round pick on the trade market? Or conversely, could you see the Rockets sort of getting weird with their lineups when you're looking at the, the non Shangun, non Jabari bigs where you don't necessarily have any allegiances to Garuba at this point, or just like other bigs on the roster and futzing and fiddling with some smaller looks just to make room for all these. I feel like they just have all these combo forwards on their team, at least three primarily in East and KJ and Tate. Can I flip that question back on to you? Do you think they can get a low end first? Like, is that something you have? I've so, if you're going to tell me you believe in KJ Martin shooting like 35, 36% from three on most I do wide open. Looks. Yeah. If you believe yeah. in that looking at the defensive malleability and the downhill pressure, he provides you. If I'm the heat, I would give up. Mm. Like if you need the top 20 protected top 22 protected fine, but he could be a great fit as sort of like a, I consider him more. Am I wrong here? I consider him more of like a four than a wing, but like yeah. if you need someone to play it like combo three, four minutes, if I'm a team who's a contender and like you're not, if that pick doesn't need to be protected until kingdom come. And if I'm the Rockets, I'm thinking, well, I know he's cheap this season and next, but like if we have a chance to just get a flyer first rounder where maybe it turns into two seconds right away and he's not playing a bunch anyway, I could see that making sense for certain select contenders. I think you're probably outlying what his market value should be. I don't think that's what his market value is. I think well, it's going to hurt if he's not playing or not playing well to start the year because of sort of this personnel logjam that they have. And, and the fact that he demanded a trade in the first place and everybody right, knows he right, wants right. out of there. Right. Like I think, um, which if is I'm just like, to... he might be the, like, that's just no, he's not the lowest profile to do that. But it's just funny when it's like, oh, KJ Martin demanded yeah. a trade. We're in the midst of talking about Kevin Durant and Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. It's like, oh, KJ Martin has requested, Cam Reddish has requested a trade as well. And it's just like, oh boy. Which is why I think it came from the father. Because who else would be dumb enough to leak it, right? Like, I, I don't think I don't think his agent leaked it. I don't think he leaked it because he's being advised by his agent. I think his dad did it, right? I, I, I think that's the guy I would think would leak it. Like, if it didn't get out, like, and if it just happened, ah, it's believable. But if But the fact that it got out leads me to believe that his father leaked it. Because he's pissed that his son's not playing, right? That's hysterical. Yeah, I mean, I I think um, I think it's it's one of those things where I would probably, if I were Houston, 
the way I would salvage this is they're clearly trying to get a really good first for Eric Gordon, right? Because they, they've had multiple offers for first-round picks, and they just keep turning them down. Like, one by one by one, they keep turning them down. I'm, I would, if they're really, if they're really trying to get a premium first round pick, I would throw KJ Martin in the deal with, with Eric Gordon. Makes a lot of sense. Right. right. And what I'm thinking here is like, Hey, Lakers, you still yeah. haven't traded Russ yet. Right. And it's going to be really difficult to salary match, by the way, like this is almost right, right. certainly going to require a third team. Now that the John Wall is gone, it's almost certainly going to require a third team to, to pull this off. But if you want to throw a slew of role players and include KJ Martin among those role players and, and Eric, Eric Gordon and, you know, uh, whoever whoever else you want to throw in there, David Nwaba. Um, Boban. I'm just looking at like their Boban. highest babe. Like Trey Burke is probably in there at that point. So like right. Brown. All the Dallas guys, right? All the, all the Dallas guys have to be in there. KJ Martin has to be in there. David Nwaba has to be in there. Eric Gordon certainly has to be in there. Um, and you're still, you're still not close enough to get it done. That's why I'm saying you need, you need that third team. But that's the kind of offer I try to I would I would try to sneak him into, right? I try to get that kind of premium pick, right? So instead of trying to get an individual asset, more like throw him into a deal, throw him into a deal and try to make an ass make a, a pending asset even sweeter, right? Like make Eric Gordon more attractive by p- placing him next to KJ Martin as like a package deal. Who's more likely to finish this season on another team, Gordon or KJ? Eric Gordon. Absolutely. I mean, and if he doesn't like that, that's going to warrant a, a serious amount of criticism for the Rockets. Like, like this is this is like the final year they can actually do it and get right. a first round pick, right? I I I'm still skeptical that um they're going to get the high end first that they're seeking, but can they get a first? That's probably still on the table just because that last year is non is basically a team option. Like effectively, you can turn that. You can guarantee it, so he has two more years left on his contract and two more playoff appearances for the team he goes to, right? So then he's worth the first round pick. So like, yes, this is the last season you can get a first round pick. So I think Eric Gordon is more likely to be off the roster. Um, as to how you figure out a way to make KJ Martin happy, I don't know. I think you probably have to trade off players, right, or or make one of these consolidation trades and make the roster a little bit thinner but a little bit more high end and effectively make room for him. And I think that's more likely than the Rockets not trading Eric Gordon. So as of right now, they have 18 players under guaranteed contract who are going to be, you know, whether it's a consolidation trade or they're waiving guys, who do you think are the most likely roster spot casualties when they need to get down to um, their regular season number? Um, I think Sterling Brown and Trey Burke are definitely there. But here's the thing. Like, I think um, they just signed, um, I'm forgetting the name, a center. You're talking about Willie Cauley-Stein? Yes, they just signed Willie Cauley-Stein. Which oh, I didn't know to... that's who you were. I thought you were pointing to someone that I didn't know that they signed. Yeah, they signed Willie Cauley-Stein, which is like, so they, they clearly want to keep Bruno Fernando because they also signed him. And I'm confused as to what what the logic is there. So I'm, I'm guessing they're going to send Bruno Fernando to the G League, which means I think he's going to get he's going to be one of those two way guys. And I think um, they're probably going to reserve the other two way guy. And I don't know at that point who you would cut. And I would pro- just this is who I would cut. I I am not a, I'm not a big fan of. Um, I mean, I think you could go like Burke. No, well, no big. Well, I Dacia Knicks. Like, I, so I would not, like, again, I would not outright cut him, but I am not as high on him 
as I think the general public seems to be. I don't really see him like being a stone cold lock to make the NBA. And I know it's going to piss some people off. I just, I, I don't know what he's doing right now at the NBA level well enough to warrant it. And even at the summer league, like he had, yes, he had his right moments, but it's not like he was like first team all summer league. Right. And like, this is like a second or third year NBA player. It's like, he should probably be first or second team all summer league. And, you know, I, I'm losing faith in him. And I, again, I, I just think it's probably going to be the Dallas guys. Uh, I think they're probably holding out on cutting the Dallas guys until they are 100% certain that they can't do a consolidation trade for like Russell Westbrook. So what is your biggest concern for this roster, be it a player archetype, specific position, or functional void? Just like what is the big single biggest need for them heading into the season? Point card. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's fairly obvious. So my follow I knew you I was fairly confident you were gonna say that. So my follow-up to it is are they at the point where they would consider not actively trying to mortgage part of their future to find one, but they would be open to acquiring run in the middle of the season? Or is this a roster that it's, yeah, there'll be some fine tuning where they're going to trade away some vets and they have to consolidate here, but they're not going to be looking to actually address any needs for the roster via a trade. Yeah. There's no urgency to go and go out and find one like mortgage the future or anything like that, but there is an urgency to try and like, okay, like this is, this is really, if, if K, if KPJ doesn't have that breakout year for you, like, first of all, he's, you know, you're not, you're not going to give him, an extension, right? You're going to let him go to restricted free agency. And second of all, like I, I think at that point, you probably start looking at the top of the draft next year. It's like, okay, you're looking at point guards, right? Yeah. Like Scoot Henderson is a guy I would really, really want if KPJ isn't your guy. And that, that that's, that's just a more of a long-term issue, right? You're talking about uh, issues for the Rockets going into the season. I don't think, a team like the Rockets really has those kinds of issues to worry about. I think those are more playoff team questions, but in terms sure. of like long-term questions, like in terms of building out the team questions, yeah, like point guard, like they need to find someone who can be a plus defender and a plus three-point shooter for next to Kevin, next to Jalen Green, right? And if they, if one of their guys develops into being that plus playmaker, you know, let's just say it's Alper and Shengun. Maybe that guy, maybe that point guard doesn't have to be a facilitator. Maybe he can just go be, um, you know, your Patrick Beverly type, right? Like the ultimate version of that. But as things stand, they they don't have that guy. So they that guy would probably go out, have to be a strong facilitator as well. So you're looking at like the archetype I would target is like Lonzo Ball, right? Like Lonzo Ball is like, he would make such perfect sense next to Jalen Green long-term. Ironically, like, you know, we, we spent a lot of time comparing uh, Jalen Green to um, Chicago, Chicago Bulls shooting guard. I'm, I'm really, Zach Levine. We spent a lot of time comparing Jalen Green to Sh- Jalen Green. And they went out and they got Lonzo Ball, right? So it is funny how, like, that, that's kind of exactly who I would go out and target. Like, someone like that, um, you know, someone like, um, like, again, I'm so, the names today. I'm so terrible. San Antonio Spurs guards got traded. Dejounte Murray. Dejounte Murray. Like Dejounte Murray. I'd go out and, and try to go target Dejounte Murray. I'd go out and try and target the Lonzo Ball. Right. Like you're very strong defensive guys who can also shoot the three ball and facilitate at a high level. Right. And I think that's that's the kind of player archetype I would I would target long term 
especially if, if Alperin Shingun isn't that level facilitator that he could potentially become. I'm not saying he'll be, a, a, you know, he'll be for sure become that, but I think that's a ceiling, right? His ceiling is for sure best facilitator on a team, right? Not saying best player on a team, but best facilitator on a team. If he is not that guy, you have to go find someone who can be that guy and put him next to Jalen Green because I don't think Jalen Green can be that guy. Maybe you, maybe you believe he can be that guy. I think he, again, as we we started the podcast talking about how I thought he impressed me um, with his playmaking chops to start the season. I'm still not, not I'm definitely not at the level where I'm like, yeah, I, I'm confident just playing, sticking a Patrick Beverly type next to him. You know? Yeah, I'm probably higher on him being able to be like the Paul George type than you are level facilitator. I mean, not Paul George exactly, but that type of a, a Kawhi or like a Kevin Durant at his peak or a t- even I think maybe a Tatum of this year, someone who throws more complicated passes, which I would say Durant, that's not something he's ever done. Um, but I are those still- guys good enough to be the best facilitator on a team? Like I, I think Kawhi has shown even Tatum. I mean, Tatum, I guess when you look at how he was performing against the Warriors defense, my point is I would still have point guard as the biggest need. I don't know that it needs to be like this. It could be another secondary playmaker to me, someone who's higher end than Kevin Porter Jr., but to where they're almost, you know, like the setup in Los Angeles right now with Kawhi and Paul George. Like it could go right. like that. I know they just got John Wall, so that kind of ruins that comp a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, it, it, it's it's definitely the the most obvious glaring need for them long-term if Kevin Porter Jr. doesn't work out. And they don't have to address it right now, but if KPJ doesn't have you know, that year that they think that he can have, right? Because again, they believe in him. But in order to like justify continuing on with that belief, he has to at least, you know, show some of what that, what they think he can be. Like if he can become, you know, that kind of lead playmaker, then this conversation's moot. They have that guy. If he's not, if, if he's, if he has the same exact season in this season that he had last season, then they have to go out and go find that guy, whether it's on the trade market or in the draft. And I look at the draft next year, I only see one guy that's clearly that guy. Otherwise, you're going to have to go find, you're going to have to go scour the trade market. And I think a lot of those guys have already been scooped up. This question is to some extent matchup dependent, and it assumes the Rockets are going to be trying to win games. But what do you think will be their best crunch time unit or should be their go-to crunch time unit? Um... I think their best crunch time unit is probably going to be the starting unit. I mean, I, that's, that sounds like a really dumb, uh, no, I like simplistic way. I just think I, otherwise, like if it's kind of going back to the Shangun thing, if Shangun's not that guy defensively, maybe you knock down, uh, that Jabari was Smith Jr. Yeah. Is that, maybe you, no. Does it make Sorry. sense to go with like Tate Gordon, Jalen green, Kevin Porter jr. Jabari Smith during those crunch time minutes at that point, at that point, if Shangun's not got that, not that guy, then yeah. And, you know, perhaps next season he's not that guy, you know, defensively. Um, but uh, I think I think he will be good enough with, with, the, with the amount of surrounding defensive talent that they have acquired this offseason to justify closing games for them. Um, there's is interesting. Do you remember that game they played the Bucs? Uh, and they were, like, really neck and neck with them, and they almost won. But Steven Salas decided to pull Alperin Shangun while he was having, like, one of the best games of his life. Like, he was... He was cooking, like he was mm-hmm. absolutely cooking, and it was such an explicit, inexplicable substitution that I was just like, I don't know, like what the give here is on Shengun. Like I, I don't get it. Like there's seems to be a disconnect in, in terms of what I'm seeing 
and what the coaching staff internally believes. They never fully bought into him. I feel like going into this season, I'm curious to, if they would have even considered starting Shingun had the Christian Wood trade not have happened. I I would suspect no. And so, like, I think this, there's a reservation on the coaching staff end to close games with him because I don't think they're fully locked in. Maybe they, they might say they are, and they may, you know, okay, you know, they, you see Shingun have a great game. You ask Steven Sask about it. He's gonna he's gonna praise him, right? But in terms of like when it comes down to it, like closing lineups. I'm not sure the start the you know the coaching staff is all the way in on him closing games. So there's a possibility that he is the closing time center. He should be, but he's not because the coaching staff's not bought in. So it is it's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do there, especially the games where he he gets into foul trouble. Because if he gets into foul trouble and he has a lot last season, right? Like per 36 minutes, he generates a ton of fouls. And if he, if he if he's at that point where he just cannot play um, fourth quarters, then I think the coaching staff has some justification in benching him. Otherwise, I, you have to play him. I mean, because if if otherwise, if anything, it's just to see like, is is this guy like a cornerstone? Right? Is it can he actually be someone that you're building around alongside Jalen Green, alongside Jabari Smith Jr. Right? If anything, just ha- just to see. If he's that guy, what are some or what is one weirdo lineup you would like to see from this team during the season? Weirdo lineup. So I'd like to see them go big, and when I, when I say I'd like to see them go big, I'd like to see them play J- Jalen Green at, at point guard, and I'd like to see them play Eric Gordon at shooting guard. And I'd like to see them upsize, and in that respect, I think you know it's justifiable to play. Jabari Smith Jr. at small forward and slide Jay Sean Tate to you know to power forward. And I'd want to see with those reps how Jalen does as the primary facilitator for like a 10-minute stretch, right? With that level of floor spacing still around him and a lot of uh, plenty of space. You know, perhaps actually swap swap out Tate and put in Tari Eason, right? So I'd I'd love to see that same exact lineup I just listed with Tari Eason. Because that's a ton of length, and I, it's a ton of length that can all shoot, that can all defend, and I'd love to see if you know Jalen with the ball in his hands, does he get lost, or can he actually orchestrate somewhat of a secondary offense? Because if he's able to do secondary offense, maybe you trust him enough to start doing more primary offensive stuff. Mine would be, insofar as you care, Jalen Green and then Jabari with Eason, Gordon, and um, my God, who's the other one I have in my notes here? Eason, Gordon, and Josh Christopher would be the lineup that mm-hmm. I would really just love to see this team run out. Just all wings that can defend in, in, in space, basically. Right, and then just you have Jalen Green out there creating shit for himself and for everybody, and it seems like that lineup might have just enough shooting. It's probably... I go back and forth on whether it's light on creation because if, if one of Jabari Eason or Josh Christopher hit us and then go, Eric Gordon's in there, I had him in there. So like that, that's a pretty big, or that'd be a pretty, I think complimentary lineup at both ends of the floor. It's this, interesting. Like, you've managed to put the ball more into Jalen Green's line, hands than my lineup because in my lineup, at least Shangun's still there to help facilitate, but you've taken Shangun out. So it's like all on Jalen. I'm a big Jalen believer, but I'm also a sucker for those types 
of lineups. No, no, well. no. But it, it is interesting. I, I, I'd want to see it too because like that's like really pushing the boundaries. It's like, okay, kid, can you do this? Like, can, like, can you be like our long term like guy, mm-hmm. right? Like, not not like Devin Booker, like guy. I'm talking like Tatum, right? Can you be that guy? And if you know, if he shows that in spurts, the 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 again, the coaching staff's gonna trust him to do it more when he's in the game with Kevin Porter Jr. And he's when he's in the game with with Operation Gion. So you know these kinds of lineups, they may be just you know people might think, oh, we're just, we're just we're just throwing out lineups that we think would be fun, but it's it's they serve a purpose because you can use that information to form you know decisions in the future. That's why I was a big believer, and I'm probably higher on Devin Booker's passing than you are. That I think they should be running him at point guard without Chris Paul more because I do think he's that type of playmaker. But if you're the Rockets specifically, and we both have questions about. What is Jalen Green's pinnacle as a playmaker for others? You do need to experiment and get that information now. Now is the time to do it, not when you're trying to be a super competitive team. And speaking of being a competitive team, they're over under a set at 23.5. Take the over. Take the over. Hammer the over. No hesitation. Wow. The bet that I took was that I thought the Rockets could win 30 games this year. Right, and that that might be a shock to you because I came on this podcast last year. The over under was twenty five. I told you to hammer the under, and this year I think they're going to make a substantive substantive leap. Because again, at what point do you continue to draft impact players in the draft and they don't make an impact? Right, like they at some point one of these guys has to be a cornerstone talent that can drive winning, not just a cornerstone talent, right? Because there are plenty of guys that are cornerstone talents, but they can't drive winning. Like Bradley Beal is one of those guys, right? Like Bradley Beal's definitely someone that would I would want in my championship core but definitely not you know a guy that can actually by himself with his presence drive winning and the rockets have taken enough swings in the draft where I'm like I'm confident one of these guys is that guy right that can actually drive winning and I think you know I think that guy is Shangoon and Green I think those two guys can drive winning in a way that you know perhaps you know maybe you don't believe that I think like I'm, I, I want to see if Jalen can do what he did to end last season for at least 80% of this season, right? I'm not saying do, do it for a full season. That's impossible. Right? That's an impossible ask for a second-year player. But when you make second-year jumps, like when second-year jumps usually indicate that like you're, you have like serious superstar potential, right? Like the, the, the most famous second-year jumps in NBA history, like Derrick Rose, uh, J- Ja Morant, Right, uh, like really, really jumping off the page, right? Because it's really hard unless you're going from a bench role to a starting role to make a second year jump. More often, you see that jump in the third year. Like more often than not, that happens third or fourth year. So if J- if Jalen can be can make that second year jump, and if Shangun is that guy, right? And I think he's gonna have a second year jump be- just simply because he's having more minutes, not because I think he's gotten uh, like a ton better over the off season. Well, he probably got a little bit better. But because he's playing more minutes, he's going to have a second-year jump. So I think those guys, I mean, you look at what Shangun was in win shares last year among rookies. I think he was second. You know who was first? You want to guess? Who is, who is first? First in mean? rookie rookie, rookie uh, win shares. Uh, Scotty Barnes. Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley, right? okay. So Shangun, like, drove winning to that extent in a bench role, right? And, like, I... Just imagine imagining him in a starting role 
I mean, it's. I just. I think it's gonna. It's gonna get to the point where like the Rockets are gonna make a, a decent enough jump to where they're not. They're not gonna have the best record in basketball. They're not gonna have. They're not gonna be a playoff team. They might not even be a play-in team. But they're not gonna be the worst record in basketball again. I don't. I don't think they're gonna be in contention for that anymore. I think they're gonna be out of that conversation. I I'll think be they're gonna Florida. be. Sorry. I was gonna say I'll be floored if they're in the play-in discussion. But twenty-three, we both went under on their twenty-five and a half last year, and we were correct, obviously. This one's harder because I do think there it feels like there's gonna be fewer wins in the West to go around. Just looking at the Clippers and the Nuggets being healthier, the Pelicans being healthier, uh, the Timberwolves getting Gobert. Um, but the Jazz should be worse, I would think, than the Rockets by design. Oklahoma City without Chet is a little iffy, but their their over under is the same as the Rockets. Um, I would might lean over at this point just because I feel like they're not going to be worse, but I guess there's things that could happen. It's their line is tougher this year. It felt like it was easier last year than it is this year, even though the Western conference is, it feels like appreciably more dangerous than it was last year. And I don't mean to curse again on this podcast, but this year they just have less weird shit going on. Right, like you're not going into the season with Daniel Tice starting next to Christian Wood. You don't, you're not going into the season with Christian Wood for that, for that matter. Right? Like, you're going into the season with lineups that make sense, with a roster that makes sense, with like less of a cloud of like, are they going to trade this player or is this guy going to stay around long term? Right? Like the only guy that that exists there is like Eric Gordon or KJ Martin. That's not gonna. That's yeah. not gonna put a large cloud of the Rocket season. Right. Right. And I, I also, if you go over, you're basically saying they won't be the worst team in the West, which is a reasonable gamble to make because I do think it's going to be OKC, Houston, or Utah. I do think you're going to end up throwing Sacramento in there. I have zero faith in them, but I would bet on it being Utah and maybe even OKC more at this point because of the Chet Holmgren injury, but I'm in love with Shea Gilgis-Alexander and, and Lou Dort. Um, is there anything and, else that, that we haven't touched? That, 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 well, I'm sorry. I, I, I did want to finish my point up. That you know What you just mentioned, that was a big part of my win put total prediction. Is like, I just see a lot of teams that are definitively going to be worse than them. And I, and I, I thought OKC was going to be worse than Houston before Chet's injury. Oh, I, wow. I certainly still believe that now, right? I think Sacramento uh, is going to be a playoff team, right? So I don't include them in the equation at all. Utah is down. Like, they are going to be terrible next season. On purpose, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. They're going to be terrible. And I think, obviously, I'm by saying they're going to win 30 games, I'm not saying they're going to be, like, what like they're gonna finish with like a tenth seed? Like no, I'm just saying they're not gonna finish with a top with a bottom three record. I'm just saying they're gonna be like the sixth or seventh worst record in the NBA as opposed to first. Like I don't think that's crazy when you look at the grand scope of thing, grand scheme of things. Like I don't, you look at other teams and where they stack up talent wise with the Rockets right now. And we and you just mentioned yourself that the Rockets have a a, a lot of really tantalizing young talent on the roster. Uh, you know, at some point, talent produces. Right, like you keep on drafting good talent, good young talent, it's gonna build to something. And you and I have watched the NBA for a very long time. These things don't happen gradually, right? right. It's not. It's not like you go from twenty to twenty-five to thirty. It's like no. More often than that, you go from like twenty to like okay, now you're at thirty-two. Okay, now you're now now you're like a a forty-five one team. Okay, now now you're in your your contender, right? Like it's like it's really drastic jumps, like the Grizzlies last year. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're going to make a Grizzlies level jump, but I think they're going to make a drastic jump. Yeah, I do think there's some combustibility just because they are their their most critical players are so young that if you either don't get as big a leaps from Shangoon or Jalen Green, or if you just have rookies 
like who struggle. Like if Jabari, Jabari Smith Jr. is a pivotal part of your team, you have to play him. Maybe he, maybe he's bad. Maybe you see Eason play a bunch and he's bad. Uh, so I do think there's combustibility, but I would agree with you that this is not the worst. I don't think they'll be in the worst team in the NBA discussion again. Is there anything, anyone else on or about this team that I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be, be discussed? Yeah. Steven Salas, right? Like, like so he's about him at the top. You just, did you? you just ignored me. I actually think I'm you sorry. thought he was under more pressure entering this year. Yeah, I I feel like he kind of has to be. If you go, if you finish this season with the worst record in basketball again, right? Like at some point, it's like how much how much rope are we gonna give you, right? You, you can't, you know, like first year, okay, sympathy Silas year, right? Like that that seemed to be like the the, the narrative nationally for Silas, right? Like oh poor Silas, he got stuck with he he, he went into coach Harden Westbrook and Christian Wood and this really good team and he got and he got dumped he got this all dumped in his lap as if he didn't know that some of this stuff was going on like I I, I, I just that 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 narrative rubbed me the wrong way by the way uh and then the following year he finishes with the worst record in basketball again it's like okay now you know it's his first year coaching an M- a real NBA team first year with continuity and it's like okay now if you do that again like the Rockets aren't going to renew your contract after that fourth year. They're just not. They're not going to give you an extension. They're not going to. They're not going to. They're going to be out on the market for a new head coach because it's not. It's not so much that they have internal pressure to win, but they're going to have in external pressure to make a move because you just can't be that bad for consecutive seasons, like three consecutive seasons of the worst record in basketball. That's you know he to me is really what what makes me the most nervous about betting on the Rockets winning 30 games, I don't have a lot of confidence in him. I just don't. I, his lineups are weird. His like What he asks of the front office to do to go get for him, I think a lot of that stuff's weird. Right? Like, he, he was a driving force in the Daniel Tice signing. Okay. That was, yeah, like that was that was weird. Um, and, you know, if, if, if he indeed decides to start Tice, I, I think that's, again, another strange move. So I, I think... I, I don't have a lot of confidence in him, and I think this is a real prove-it year for him. I, I would probably agree, just because I mostly I'm probably more sympathetic towards his first season. But you can't be that bad three years in a row and probably hope to to keep your job, unless we're talking about I don't even know what like if there's like a major injury, then yeah, I guess there's context that matters. But I would agree that I think the I would frame it this way: I think the microscope on the job he's doing now that you have Jabari. Now that you have Jalen Green, now that I think there are a lot of other players on this team that people are collectively intrigued by with Shangoon, with the way Josh, Chris, Josh Christopher closed the year, excuse me, people really seem to like Tari Eason. Uh, the microscope on the Rockets, it feels like it's going to be a little bit more magnified. And I think by virtue of that, you're going to see Steven Silas. Uh, and of course, we're talking about how much of a grace period do you give him post James Harden trade? He's going to be someone who's just then put under that microscope um, more than he has been thus far. Yeah, and I'm not. This is not even so much me advocating for them to make a move. This is just me telling you how the NBA works, right? Like, the, like the end. At some, you can't have so this many bad seasons in a row. It just it, like usually the front office or someone in the organization doesn't even have to be the head guy. Doesn't have to be Rafael Stone. Doesn't even have to be Eli Wittes, the sec, second in command, right? Ownership gets itchy fingers, right? right. Like I like when when the Rockets were going on their second. 20 game losing streak in a row last season. I was like, oh no, I do not feel good about this. Like, I, I was just waiting every morning to wake up 
to an Adrian Wojnarowski report that he lost his job, right? Like, because that's just how it works when you lose that much for, like, like it's 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 really it's really underrated how much the Rockets have lost, right? Like, like it, it's like like we know that the Rockets have been a bad team, but I don't think people have really understood how bad they've been. Right? I don't think people have really watched them and, and like, oh, this this decision doesn't make that much sense. I don't know why they're doing this. Right. And because Steven Silas is such a likable figure, right? It's not like Sam Mitchell, right? Where they're where they're bad and Sam Mitchell's like the most like like curmudgeon old man NBA figurehead that you could think of, right? And it's it's easy to be like, okay, like at some point you have to make a decision on Sam Mitchell because he's hurting your player development. Right. Steven Silas is not that guy. Steven Silas is like an awesome dude, smart. Um, NBA media loves him, right? Mm-hmm. And I like him. I like him a lot, right? I think he, uh, you know, I think he's certainly deserves to be in the NBA coaching ranks. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if you know head coach as of right now, but like I think he deserves to have a, a, an NBA coaching job because I think I think he's that bright. But it's it's one of those things where likability only gets you so far, and. It's. I just. I just know. I've seen it happen. So you. You. You know. It happens all the time. Like Earl Watson, right? Like. Like. Earl, why did Earl Watson get fired? We. We still don't know why he got fired. Right. We have a lot of incendiary reporting coming out of Phoenix. Um, reporting that still hasn't come to a head in a lot of in a lot of areas. But um, we still don't know what the driving reason for his firing was. Right. Like stuff like that happens all the time. Just because owners get impatient. So, um, yeah, I, I think I would, I'm very curious to see how this year plays out for him. Obviously, we talked a lot about Kevin Porter Jr. being the most compelling storyline for the Rockets going into the season. So, number two might be Silas. I will say the offense needs to be better, a lot better than 30th in transition frequency. I was very disappointed that that's where they ended up finishing the season last year on that. Their, their offense sometimes feels like it lacks any sort of recognizable form or just like... I don't want to say structure because we understood the pecking order, I think more as the season went on, but just like, there's nothing like discernible about them on offense outside of Jalen green. I feel like, and maybe a little bit of Shane But my point is I would like to see them be more opportunistic of getting up and down the floor. I know some of their lineups um, aren't necessarily built to do that, but now that you have like Eason and Jalen green is there and you have Kevin Porter jr. Or Ty Ty Washington. uh, I would just like to see them make more of a concerted effort to push. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, after that, what I did, that last rant, I feel like I'm going to get in trouble. So, but, but I'm good. I think I'll, I think I'll be fine. I think I'll be fine. Uh, no, when I, so I, I, yeah, I mean, we, we pretty much covered it. I mean, like, as far as the Rockets going into this season, there's really not that much pressure to win, even though I think they should win more. And I think it just makes sense that some of these young talents are going to make leaps. And I think there's there's certainly a lot of things to watch for, especially Kevin Porter Jr. and Steven Salas. And those guys might might have pressure on them. But as a whole, this is kind of a more more of the same from last year. It's a feel-good season. You know, just do what you can, right? Just do what you can. Just don't just don't do something dumb, right? Don't get hurt, right? right. Like don't 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 um uh, don't go for charges, right? Just just like just like conserve your future and you know, don't make winning trades right like like don't don't mortgage your future right i think that's all that, that's what the model for the rocket season should be don't fuck this up right that's all that's all that's all you have to think about when you think of the rockets this year the 2022-2023 rockets don't fuck this up you heard it here first Sam, are you able to tell our <laughs> listeners where they can find you and all the great work that you do 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, at Solomon Elite NBA on Twitter. Uh, the, re- the website slash newsletter is rednationhoops.com. Podcast is also the same, Red Nation Hoops. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I had a lot uh, of fun, uh, and I'm I'm worried now because like I, our podcast was so good, and our conversation was so good, and I'm pulling a back to back right now, and I I feel like I'm gonna be drained for the second one. I don't know. I'm I'm worried about that now. I did not anticipate it going almost 90 minutes, which is why I need to get you out of here. Thank you so much for coming on, <laughs> and it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And I'm sure, as you know by now, I'll be pestering you again in the future. So until next time, thanks again, man. For sure, absolutely.